This is Out of Office for Wednesday, the 18th of January 2012. Our predictions for 2012. Welcome to the Out of Office podcast, where you'll learn how to work from virtually anywhere by using the internet for greater convenience, comfort, and freedom. Your hosts are Chris Pudney and Gihan Pereira. Hello, Chris. How are you going? Well, thanks, Gihan. How are you? Oh, very well. Happy New Year to you. I know it's a little bit late. <laughs> Likewise to you and to our listeners. <laughs> yes, and we're in the middle of January, and I guess this is the time when lots of people are planning their business and their life and their professional life. And uh, today what we thought we'd do is something that we've done in the last few years, which is make some predictions for 2012. And uh, you may have noticed by listening to the intro that there's been a little rebadging of our podcast, which was the Focal Point podcast. But since we published our book, Out of Office, late last year, we're rebadging this as the Out of Office podcast so our predictions are going to be based around things that will help you have more freedom and comfort and convenience in your work life, uh, whether you're working for yourself or whether you're working for somebody else. <laughs> so uh, in the past, we've uh, we've talked about uh, trends for the year to come, and uh, then at the end of the year, we followed those up with a review of what's happened, and we're going to follow suit in 2012. Yeah, so why don't you get started, Chris? We've each got four predictions, and we'll take them in turn, and you can get started, and uh, then I'll... I'll jump in when uh, when I've got something to say. No worries. <laughs> so the the first prediction is that the growth of mobile workforce will facilitate an increase in telecommuting. So workforces are becoming uh, more mobile, and one of the reasons for that is that we've got these more powerful mobile computing devices, so smartphones and tablets and what have you. Uh, but in addition to that, one of the other factors that's uh, supported that is that cloud computing has become more important. So often cloud computing has been touted as a way of reducing the cost of owning software for businesses. But in fact, a recent survey conducted last year by a technology company called CSC found that the main driver for businesses adopting uh, cloud computing was in fa- was in fact to support a mobile workforce. So uh, they, they also found that, uh, that that they were doing it for redu- reduction in um, costs as well. But the main driver was in fact uh, to support their mobile workforce. Now, cloud computing and mobile devices are also. Uh, the main technologies that support an out-of-office work style. So we're going to find that as more companies are trying to support a a mobile workforce, they're also going to be lowering the barriers to entry when it comes to telecommuting as well. I think the telecommuting one's a really interesting one because there are people who are uh, struggling and businesses who are struggling, so it'll be interesting to see whether employers are willing to give their employees flexibility and say, yes, you can telecommute, or just say, no, we want in the office so we can monitor you, look after you, and you don't get some of these perks. Sure, sure, maybe, we'll see. Yep, absolutely, but you're predicting that we're going to have an increase in telecommuting. I think so. Good, we'll hold you to that. <laughs> so look, the second one, which is my first prediction, is uh, is that we're going to have more Wi-Fi connectivity. Uh, so when you're out and about, you'll have more opportunities to connect to, to wireless networks. And this is something which is not necessarily the, the for the telecommuters, who generally tend to work from home, but for the people who are a bit more digital nomads who will want to have access when they're out and about. So you may be a business traveler, you may be uh, working from an internet cafe, you may be working anywhere, and you'd like to have wireless internet access. And 
there are there are a number of places where this is happening. So uh, in the air is one place, and we talked about. I think in the book we mentioned that cloud computing. One of the places where you can't access the cloud is when you're actually in the clouds, because airlines don't allow you to uh, connect to the internet. But more and more that's happening. So Emirates Airlines is already doing that, and Qantas uh, announced plans a few months ago to trial it. So we may see uh, internet access on flights, um, you know, in in within Australia. It's happening in other parts of the world, but we may see it happening in Australia. Um, and even on the ground oh, – sorry, Chris, do you want to say something? There? Sure. I was, I was going to ask whether you'd come across that yet because you travel more than I do. Have you actually come across an airline that um, has got it in flight? No, not yet, not yet. And I guess I haven't been doing much travelling in last year. Uh, I know – like Jetstar, which is that, that low-cost subsidiary of Qantas, they're offering iPads to users, which you can rent during the flight, uh, not necessarily connected to the internet, but they're already starting to think about giving people connectivity, uh, sorry, giving people access to, to tablets uh, in flight. So that's know, an interesting, interesting development. A couple of years ago, one of the flights I took, I'm not sure whether it was Emirates or Singapore, they were handing out little um, cards uh, with a, a Wi-Fi um, login on them as they were trialling it in flight. But unfortunately, I didn't have a device with which to take advantage of that. But I can't remember whether it was Emirates or Singapore. Yeah, and that's a good point because it's actually the combining the two, isn't it? So it's giving people the access, but then you've got to assume that people have got laptops and iPads and phones to be able to, to use that. Mm, which we'll talk about in the next prediction. <laughs> ah, yes, that's right. <laughs> so let's not get ahead of ourselves. Um, the other thing I was going to say was even on the ground, uh, there are more and more people who, who want to do that. So Brisbane City Council in some of their parks is offering free Wi-Fi. And the Perth Lord Mayor, Lisa Scafidi, who was recently re-elected, one of her big re-election promises and made front-page headlines here in Perth was that she wants the Perth CBD to have free Wi-Fi so that you'd be anywhere you are in the, in the central business district, you'll be able to uh, get free Wi-Fi access. And uh, uh, so she's got, I think, four years in which to do that, so I'm not expecting anything soon, certainly not, uh, certainly not this year. Well, it's doomed, isn't it? It's an election promise. Well, yes, yes. And uh, I guess the only thing that I'm holding on to is that uh, other other city councils are doing it, so we're not exactly you know, pay, paving the way for something brand new. So it may be something that that's feasible and may actually happen. We'll see. <laughs> um, the other thing is that uh, even if you don't have wireless access, if you don't have Wi-Fi access, you already have, a lot of people already have Wi-Fi in their pocket. So not many people know that you can use your phone, your smartphone, as a, as a mobile hotspot. So you can set up your phone uh, to access as, as a wireless modem. So if you've got a tablet which needs wireless to connect to the Internet, then you can, uh, and you have your phone handy, which you generally do, set up your phone as a wireless hotspot and then you can use your tablet or laptop to connect to the internet. Yeah, that's sometimes called tethering and it's a great technology I used over the holidays. So when we were outside of uh, uh, access to free Wi-Fi, yeah, exactly, exactly. And I guess one of the things that we should point out is if you're, any, if you're using any of these free Wi-Fi services, if they're not secure, then you're taking your life in your hands. So you do, it's a, it, there's a security risk because other people on that same free Wi-Fi network could be eavesdropping on what you're doing, uh, and it's actually very easy for them to do that. It doesn't require a lot of uh, a lot of uh, technical skill to do that. So. Uh, Either use a secure Wi-Fi network or you can use your phone as a mobile hotspot and, and make sure that you set a password on that so that becomes secure as well. Indeed. So once you've got all these free Wi-Fi hotspots, you actually need a device to make best use of them. And so we've got a, a little batch of 
predictions here for 2012 with regard to mobile devices. And the first of those is, is with regard to e-book readers, and that is that the price of them is going to drop significantly down to below $100. So I, when I saw you make this, uh, this prediction, Gihan, I went and had a look on Amazon at what the price of their Kindle was. And at the moment, it's come down. It's down to, it was 126 at the start of the summer holidays, and that's now 122, including shipping from the US. So I think that, that trend indicates that uh, your prediction might come true by the end of the year, Gihan. And there, and there are other less, um, probably less powerful models that you can get for under $100. Uh, from you know your, your big box uh, retailers, um, but uh, it's not things like the Kindle just yet. Yeah, and in fact, talking about the Kindle, my niece Abby, who's just about to turn seven, she got a Kindle for Christmas uh, because uh, in September for Father's Day, her dad, my brother-in-law Neil, he got a Kindle for Father's Day, and it turned out that his uh, his wife and his daughter used it more than he did, so they've both got Kindles for Christmas. So now there are three Kindles in the family, and uh, you know, at first I thought, well, you know, is that an extravagant gift for a six or seven-year-old? But Abby loves reading, uh, so she'll certainly make use of it, uh, and she can. Or parents can buy books for her, which are a half or a third of the price of buying them from a bookshop. And so I just wonder whether it's a good investment because by the end of the year, it, it will have paid for itself in terms of the savings of ebooks. So uh, ebooks and e-readers are becoming very affordable and therefore becoming mainstream. Yeah, and uh, as you say, mainstream is the key. I think uh, as Abby grows up, she'll be reading more and more from uh, a device rather than, well, a digital device rather than from an analog thing made of dead trees. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the other prediction with regard to mobile devices for 2012 that we have for you is that uh, high-quality Android tablets are going to drop below the $300 Aussie dollar mark. So what we've got coming up this year are that another generation of tablets running Android is going to come out using a new chipset, so they're going to be more powerful and have brighter screens and higher resolution as well. So that's going to mean that they're probably going to enter the market at around $400. I was in Harvey Norman over the Christmas break, and I asked when he predicted they'd arrive. He said probably around about February, and I asked what price, and he suggested that around about the $400 mark. So that means that they're probably going to run out their existing stock of current generation stuff well down from that price, so maybe around $300 then. And then, of course, the, the price will generally trend downwards as the year progresses. The other thing that we've got to look forward to uh, as far as Android's concerned during 2012 is the release of the next version of the Android operating system. That's codenamed Ice Cream Sandwich, and it has a lot of improvements in a lot of features added to it that specifically target tablet devices. So um, I'm waiting with bated breath for the new Tegra 3 chipset tablets to come out with ice cream sandwich on them, and that's when I'm going to jump on board. And hopefully, by then, they'll only cost $300. <laughs> yes, and with you and I, Chris, are Android users, uh, so we, because we've both got Android phones, it makes sense for us to get Android tablets, but of course, there's a whole bunch of people who've got iPhones and iPads, and there are a lot of rumours about Apple's iPad 3 coming out, which is unlikely to be... Uh, down the $400 or $300 mark. However, there are some of the rumours are that that'll come out at you know, full price, six or $700, but they will then start selling the iPad 2 for around about the two to $300 mark, which will make it compete with uh, something like the Kindle Fire. Now, we may not see that in Australia for a while, but uh, we'll certainly see a drop in the price of the current generation of iPad as well. So I think even the, even the Apple users are going to have access to cheap tablets. Excellent. Great.
Well, the last uh, mobile device trend for 2012 that we've got is with regard to smartphones, and that is that they're going to dominate feature phones. So feature phones are referred to phones that... Uh, the old-fashioned flip phones that don't have touch screens and all the and Wi-Fi uh, capability that uh, that we've come to expect of smartphones, and that's important because uh, they're still the dominant phone in the marketplace. The majority of people still have feature phones; they don't have smartphones yet, and that's important uh, for two reasons. Uh, throughout the world, mobile phone usage is is huge, and in the developing world, uh, as people move to feature phones, move from feature phones to smartphones, it means that they'll have access to the internet for the first time. They might not have a PC or a tablet, which they can't afford necessarily, but a smartphone will be uh, access for them to uh, to the internet. Uh, and as far as uh, out of office is concerned, well, if you're working out of office, if you have a, a smartphone, then you can access the cloud, and that means that you can. You can uh, live the life of a digital nomad or you can be a semi-commuter. For instance, over the uh, the summer holidays, I took my smartphone with me for the first time. I didn't have one last summer. And it meant that I could use my laptop uh, to access the internet. I could uh, do a little bit of work, although I didn't. I did. Uh, I worked on stuff related to the out-of-office book rather than stuff that I, that I normally do from day to day. And that was really different from the previous holiday when I was working on the out-of-office manuscript. I didn't have access to the internet, so it was more awkward. I had to sort of make a whole lot of changes over a period of weeks, and then when I came back home and did have internet access, I had to go and sync all those changes. So it really does change the way you work when you have something like a smartphone and access to the internet. Yeah, and I actually experienced that, Chris, because uh, when you, I knew you were going away and uh, I knew when you would be away and I sent you an email not expecting to get a reply back until you returned. And so I was quite surprised that you did reply just briefly saying that you were, you were living the digital nomad lifestyle or the, the out-of-office lifestyle and for the first time you did actually have access to your email and even, as you said, you didn't do a whole bunch of work but you were able to keep on top of things uh, while you were on holiday. That's right. Um, and Cherie let you do that. <laughs> Briefly. <laughs> <laughs> so look, a lot of the things that we've talked about so far apply equally whether you're a consumer um, in your personal life as well as your professional life. And uh, one of the things that still hasn't happened as well with uh, mobile technology and with tablets is that there, there are a number of the number of services that still aren't yet available, business services, that still aren't yet available to business users on phones and tablets. And one of them, which is a, an annoyance for me, is online meeting software. So I use GoToWebinar to run webinars regularly, and they have a cut-down version called GoToMeeting, which is one of the most popular online meeting uh, software tools. And that works really well from PC and Mac, and uh, whether it's desktop or laptop, but doesn't work as, as well from, from tablets or phones. And so my, my prediction for 2012 is that there will be better support for online meetings from, ta- from tablets and phones, because more and more people are going to be demanding that. So the users are going to be demanding that they can they can attend meetings from GoToMeeting uh, from their from their iPad or their Android tablet and even run meetings from there. Now some of that's already in place, so you can attend a webinar of mine uh, from your iPad and you can you can interact and participate that way. But you can't yet run a webinar from there. And I think once that second half of the the jigsaw puzzle gets into place, then we will be able to be in the position where uh, out-of-office workers can collaborate effectively from anywhere. Okay. The next trend that we have for 2012 is that outsourcing is going to increase, and that means that the nature of jobs will be changing. Uh, 
So uh, a recent survey showed that one in three Americans is in fact a freelancer, and that's not because uh, of the the, uh, economic circumstances in the US where people are finding it difficult to get work. It's because they want to work with greater freedom. They want to to have that kind of independence rather than be in a traditional employer-employee relationship. So it's becoming uh, the age of the free agent. So what that means is that uh, people who want to work as freelancers or who want to make use of freelancers need to learn about how to best use the various talent markets, as they're so called. So there are uh, quite a few of these available online. So the one that we are most familiar with is elance.com, but there are others called Odesk and Guru. And we're going to do our next out of office podcast on the difference between these talent markets. So it's important that if you want to be a freelancer or you want to outsource work to freelancers that you know how to make best use of the various talent markets that are out there. And I was speaking to a client of mine uh, last week, Chris, and she was commenting on the fact that she runs a business just by herself, but she brings in other people uh, where required to work on a project. And she said that she she really kind of is modeling the way that IT projects work. And you and I have both been familiar with this, where it doesn't necessarily mean that you use exactly the same team of people for every project that you do, because you might bring a team together for a particular project because they've got certain skills and a certain mix of skills. And then at the end of it, everyone gets paid. The, the team gets disbanded and that's it. And then you move on to the next project which might require a different set of skills and then, then you bring those people together as well. So the idea of having full-time employees who have all the skills that you need, um, maybe that's maybe that's an old idea now and you can't rely on that if you want to be successful in business. Yeah, I'm okay. So yeah, I, I agree with that. I think that outsourcing will keep increasing and uh, Elan's uh, recently um, produced a report that said that it's grown by about 25 or 30% this year wow. in terms of its outsourcing. And that's in, in fairly difficult financial times. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I guess it's, in some ways, uh, maybe those difficult financial times make it easier to outsource rather than employ people because you can't offer them certainty, so it's easy to outsource. But equally, it could be that the businesses are growing and so they need outsource skills. Okay. So my next prediction is about Google Plus. So Google Plus uh, launched with a big bang at about the middle of the year. Its growth uh, has continued, uh, although it's slowed down a little bit. But my prediction is that by the end of this year, by the end of 2012, Google Plus will reach 200 million users, which is pretty big, and it's around about the same sort of magnitude as Twitter. It's not as big as Facebook yet, um, but certainly around, about, but certainly growing. And 200 million is still nothing to be, uh, nothing to sneeze at. So it's something that. Um, you know, there was, there was a lot of optimism about Google Plus when it started, and then there were a lot of criticism as well, and a lot of people are comparing it to Facebook and saying, is it going to be the Facebook killer? And I never thought it was going to be, and you shouldn't compare it that way, um, but it has a lot of features that make it very attractive. And one of the most important for out-of-office workers is the idea of Google Hangouts. Uh, which is basically a way of doing video conferencing. So video conferencing for up to 10 people. And I mentioned some of these online meeting tools, such as GoToMeeting earlier. I think Google Hangouts are a serious competitor to something like GoToMeeting when you're talking about small team video conferencing because it's a, it's a cinch to set up. Uh, you can you, you see people on video and they just use their webcam. You can sc- uh, share Google Documents. Uh, through your through your hangout, you can share what's happening on your screen. So it, that feature alone is going to make it really useful for out of office workers. And the fact that it's growing and continues to grow means that it's probably going to be around for a while. So Google's going to keep adding new features to that as well. 
Have you used uh, the Hangout feature in Anger? Um, yeah, like I did actually. What happened was that the first time I used it, I joined somebody's Hangout because I, I was just on Google Plus. I noticed one of the people in my circles was running a Hangout at the time, so I just joined it, and it turned out that he was running a live seminar down in Albany, which is a country town in Western Australia, and he was demonstrating Hangouts, and he was actually saying, "Look, here's a Hangout. Let's see who joins it." And uh, I joined. Somebody from the US joined, and uh, he had about three or four people, which was perfect for him, and we were just chatting away, and uh, the people in the audience were just astounded at how easy it was to set up just a video conference from you know from country WA uh, with people from Perth and uh, uh, I think there was someone from Melbourne and someone from the US. So uh, it really is easy to do, uh, and you don't require any technical skill to do that. Great, and uh, don't mean to poo-poo your uh, your prediction, Gihan, but if Google Plus has 199 million users already. It's not much of a prediction. So what is the current <laughs> uh, current population of Google Plus yeah. users? Look, I think at the moment, the, the best estimates, Google, Google won't tell us, but the best estimates seem to be about 65 million. Oh, okay. Uh, That's now, quite a growth. It is quite a growth. Anticipating this year. It is quite a growth, but there was somebody who was very optimistic and predicted 400 million uh, based on the current growth figures, and I think that's too optimistic. So I guess uh, I'm being a bit bit conservative. But 200 million is like 200 million doesn't doesn't make a difference as far as the normal Google Plus users concerned. Just like saying that Facebook's going to have a billion users by August, which is one of the predictions I've seen, that means nothing to the ordinary Facebook user. But what it does mean is that there's a there's a critical mass and there. Facebook's going to keep in investing in infrastructure, new features, and so on. And I think the same is true of Google+. Plus. I don't think it's going to go the way of some of Google's other uh, failed social networking ventures uh, and get canned after, after a while. I think this sure. is something that's going to be around for a while. Okay. Our next prediction uh, relates to cloud computing, and uh, that's one of the most important infrastructures for the out-of-office work style, and that is that a large cloud-based service will fail. Now, this is pretty much inevitable, I would say, not because cloud computing is inherently dodgy, but rather because it's just becoming so prevalent, as we said at the start of this podcast, that cloud computing growth is going to be uh, one of the one of the reasons that out of office, the barriers to out-of-office work uh, come down. And so more and more of these services are being offered. More and more people and businesses are using them. And so one of them will fail, and that will cause mass disruption just because a large number of people are using them already. Now, when we say uh, a cloud computing service is going to fail, what exactly do we mean? Well, there are three possible types of failure. Well, there are several possible types of failure, but the the ones that we'll focus on are availability of the service. So, for for instance, there might be a problem with the network or the server on which the the cloud computing service is hosted, uh, and so you just can't access it uh, for whatever reason. Typically, that's a temporary issue. Uh, Second failure is that of data loss, so the the whole idea behind cloud computing services is that the service and the information and data that that uh, supports it are in the cloud. They're on servers somewhere in the, on the internet. And the people who operate the service are responsible for that data and they might lose it for whatever reason. Hard disks might crash, servers might go down. This kind of problem is usually temporary, but it also might be permanent. There have been instances where cloud computing services haven't been doing their backups properly and haven't been able to restore data that they've lost. So that's a potentially permanent failure. And finally, there are security issues. Uh, Hackers might break into a server and steal data or steal passwords and get access to your accounts. When that happens... 
that's potentially a permanent issue because you don't know how far the hackers have penetrated into the into the cloud service, or what they've stolen, and once they've got it, they've got it forever, perhaps. I've probably experienced the first couple, Chris. I've had temporary loss of availability from some services, which is probably the one that's easiest to work around uh, because that that comes back after a day or two. In fact, that's the worst that I've had has been probably three days, and that happened to be over a weekend, so it didn't matter too much. Mm-hmm. Um, the data loss, I haven't had a, a cloud-based service which has lost all my data just um, and just announced it because it's all gone. But I have had cloud-based services that have closed down, so they've shut down for some reason. Uh, and this one in particular was the one that was hosting our internal wiki at First Step. And they closed down, I guess, because their, their business model wasn't financially viable. But they did the right thing, so they gave us, I think it was three months, and they said, we're going to close down in three months. Please transfer your service elsewhere, and here's a, here's a, here's a way to make it a smooth transition. Uh, same with a a video hosting service that I used, uh, which is like YouTube, but I wanted to have longer videos and private videos, um, that service closed down. And again, they gave us a little bit of notice, but it was still inconvenient to move all the videos elsewhere and to move our wiki elsewhere. Uh, so that's, that I have experienced, but not so much the, the permanent one. Okay. So as you pointed out, Gihan, it's happened before and uh, it'll happen again, the the ones that you've experienced. And, of course, people are probably familiar with when uh, Gmail went offline for a while and also when they were hacked by well, what appeared to be Chinese hacktivists. So we can expect this to continue to happen. And as more people use compu- cloud computing services, it's going to become uh, a more common problem. So I guess we're getting towards the end, Chris, and I've in fact got one last prediction, and it's one that uh, you made last year, and so I'm stealing and borrowing that prediction, and it's that email is not dead. It's still not dead, despite what some people would uh, would make you think. Uh, so I saw a report, in fact, that there were last year, in 2011, there were 3.1 billion users of email, which doesn't surprise me, and there's no sign that that growth is slowing down, and uh, particularly in business. So in, in personal use, there may be people who are now using Facebook and SMS more than email, but I think... Uh, Email is still the number one business electronic communication tool, so you better get good at it. And uh, that when we published our book um, out of office uh, towards the end of last year, I took some extracts of that and posted some uh, posted them as blog posts and even a newsletter. And that was one of the most popular newsletter articles, the one about email productivity. So people still struggle with email and they want to get better at it. Yeah, absolutely. I think people think that because Gen Y, for instance, are always texting and using Facebook, that somehow these tools are going to replace email entirely, but, uh, but they, they're not and they shouldn't. They, they complement, those, those channels complement email and that's when we say you better get good at it. It means learning how to use email and these other electronic communications channels effectively and that's what we talk about in the book. Yep, exactly right. Uh, let's, in fact, since we mentioned the book, let's do a little plug for the book, which is, uh, so it's at outofofficebook.com, uh, and recently we've published the ebook version as well, so that's available from Amazon, from the iTunes store, from Barnes and Noble, from Anywhere that good ebooks are sold. Yeah. Uh, and you can find the links to all of them. I mean, obviously you can go to the websites of like the Amazon website and search for it, but you can also find links to them at outofofficebook.com. And we do have some print copies left as well if you still like uh, cutting down trees. <laughs> Is there anything else you want to say, Chris, in terms of predictions? We've made, we'll come back to this. We'll review this in December this year and see. That was see my prediction. We did. <laughs> yes. Predict in December that we'll be looking back and we'll uh, predict it correctly on all eight counts. 
Yes, absolutely. And you mentioned in passing, Chris, earlier on that next month we'll be talking about what you call talent markets. Yeah, so that's our plan for February. The podcast will focus on the talent markets like elance.com and Guru and Odesk and learning the difference between, differences between them and how to get best use out of them when it comes to either offering services or making use of services of freelancers on those sites. Great. Well, I look forward to that, Chris. So until then, have a great month and bye for now. Thanks, Gihan. Bye. Visit our website at outofofficebook.com where you can read all our show notes, subscribe to the podcast, and get our book, Out of Office. We wish you all the best in creating the work style of your choice.